Welcome to a reading of Spurgeon's Sermons. This Reformation MP3 audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free Reformation resources, as well as our complete online catalogue, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, the Puritan hard drive, digital downloads, MP3s, DVDs and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.puritandownloads.com. Also please consider, pray and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, give yourself to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now to SWRB's reading of Spurgeon's sermons, which we hope you find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by him. John 14, verse 6. Metropolitan Tabernacle Pulpit A Warning to Believers A Sermon, number 3466 Published on Thursday, July the 8th, 1915 Delivered by C.H. Spurgeon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Newington, on Thursday evening, June the 16th, 1870. Let no man beguile you of your reward. Colossians 2.18 There is an allusion here to the prize which was offered to the runners in the Olympic Games. And at the outset it is well for us to remark how very frequently the Apostle Paul conducts us by his metaphors to the race course. Over and over again he is telling us so to run that we may obtain, bidding us to strive and other times to agonise and speaking of wrestling and contending. Ought not this to make us feel what an intense thing the Christian life is, not a thing of sleepiness or haphazard? Not a thing to be left now and then to a little superficial consideration. It must be a matter which demands all our strength. So that when we are saved there is a living principle put within us which demands all our energies and gives us, gives us energy over and above any that we ever had before. Those who dream that carelessness will find its way to heaven have made a great mistake. The way to hell is neglect. But the way to heaven is very different. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? A little matter of neglect brings you to ruin. But our master's words are, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many I say unto you shall seek, merely seek, to enter in and shall not be able. Striving is needed more than seeking. Let us pray that God the Holy Spirit would always enable us to be in downright awful earnest about the salvation of our souls. 
May we never count this a matter of secondary importance, but may we seek first and beyond everything else the kingdom of God and his righteousness. May we lay hold on eternal life. May we so run that we may obtain. I would press this upon your memories because I do observe, observe it in myself as well as in my fellow Christians, that we are often more earnest about the things of this life than we are about the things of the life to come. We are all impressed with the fact that in these days of competition, if a man would not be run over and crushed beneath the wheels of the juggernaut of poverty, he must exert himself. No man seems now able to keep his head above water with the faint swimmer strokes which our forefathers used to give. We have to strive, and the bread that perisheth have to be laboured for. Shall it be that this poor world shall engross our earliest thoughts and our latest cares, and shall the world to come have only now and then a consideration? No. May we love our God with all our heart, and all our soul, and all our strength, and may we lay our body, soul, and spirit upon the altar of Christ's service, for these are but our reasonable sacrifice to him. Now the Apostle in the text before us gives us a warning which comes to the same thing, however it is interpreted. But the passage is somewhat difficult of rendering and there have been several meanings given to it. Out of these there are three meanings which have been given of the text before us which are worthy of notice. Let no man beguile you of your reward. The Apostle in the first place may mean here 1. Let no man beguile any of you who profess to be followers of Christ of the great reward that will await the faithful at the last. Now, my brethren, we have, many of us, commenced the Christian race, or we've professed to have done so, but the number of the starters is far greater than the number of the winners. They that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many commence apparently in the Christian career, but after a while, though they did run well, something hinders them that they do not obey the truth, and they go out from us, because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, doubtless they would have continued with us. Now we may expect, now that we have commenced to run, that some will come and try to turn us out of the race course openly not plausibly and with sophistry, but with an open and honest wickedness. Some will tell us plainly that there is no need to run, for that our religion is all a mistake, that the pleasures of the world are the only things worth seeking, that there are delights of the flesh and the lust thereof, and that we should do well to enjoy them. We shall meet the atheist with his sneer and with his ringing laugh. We shall meet with all kinds of person who will to our faces tell us to turn back. But that, for there is no heaven, there is no Christ, or if there be, it is not worth our while to take so much trouble to find him. Take heed of these people, meet them face to face with dauntless courage. Mind not their sneers. If they persecute you only, reckon this to be an honour to you. For what it is, what is it? Indeed, but the recognition of the seed of the woman, 
when the seed of the serpent would fain bite his heel. But the apostle does not warn you so much against these those people who openly come to you in this way. He knows that you will be on the alert against them. He gives a special warning against some others who would beguile you. That is to say, who will try to turn you out of the right road, but who will not tell you what they mean that they mean to do so. They pretend that they are going to show you something that you knew not before, some improvement upon what you have hitherto learned. In Paul's day, there were some who took off the attention of the Christian from the worship of God to the worship of angels. Angels, said they, these are holy beings. They keep watch over you. You should speak of them with great respect. And then when they grew bolder, they say, you should ask their protection. And then after a little while, they said, you should worship them. You should make them immediate intercessors. And so step by step, they went on and established an old heresy which lasted for many years in the Christian church and which is not dead even now unless the worship of angels crept in. And nowadays you will meet with men who will say, that bread upon the table, why, it represents the body of Jesus Christ to you when you come to the Lord's Supper. Therefore you ought to treat that bread with great respect. By and by you will get a little bolder, and they will say, as it represents Christ, you may worship it. Pay it respect, as if it were Christ. By and by it will come to this, that you must have a napkin under your chin, lest you should drop a crumb, or it will be very wicked if a drop of the sacred wine should cling to your moustache when you drink. And there will be the directions which are given to some of the papers coming out from the high church party, absurdities which are only worthy of the nursery, about the way in which the holy bread is to be eaten and the holy wine is to be drunk bringing in idolatry, sheer, clear idolatry, under the pretense of improving upon the too bare simplicity of the worship of Christ. Have a care of the very first step, I pray you. Or perhaps it may come to you in another shape. One will say to you, the place in which you worship, is it not very dear to you? That seat where you have been accustomed to sit and listen, is it not dear? And your natural instincts will say yes. Then it, it will go a little farther. That place is holy. It ought never to be used for anything but worship. Then a little further it will be, oh, that is the house of God. And you will come to believe that contrary to the words which you know are given to you of the Holy Ghost, that God dwells not in temples made with hands, that is to say in these buildings. And you will get by degrees to have a worship of places, a worship of days, a worship of bread, and a worship of wine. And then it will be said to you, your minister, he, has he not often cheered you? Well then, you should reverence him, call him reverent, go a little further, and you will call him father, get a little further, and he will be your confessor, get a little farther, and he will be your infallible Pope. It is all step by step until it is done. The first step seems to be very harmless indeed. Indeed, it is a kind of voluntary humility. 
you look as if you were humbling yourselves and were paying reverence to these things for God's sake, whereas the object is to get you to pay reverence to them instead of to God. And here the words, here the apostle words come in. Let no man setting up other objects of reverence besides those which spiritual men worship. So too, by slow degrees, try to insinuate a different way of living from that which is a true life of the Christian. You who have believed in Jesus are saved. Your sins are forgiven. You for his name's sake. You are accustomed to go to Jesus Christ constantly to receive that washing of the feet of which he spake to Peter when he said, He that is washed needeth not except to wash his feet, for he is clean every whit. You go to him with, Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them that trespass against us. But there will come some who would come in and tell you that to, to live in that way by simple faith in Jesus Christ is not perhaps the best way. Could you not get a little farther? Could you not lead the life of those recluses who mortify the flesh in such a way that at last they come to have no sins, but commence to be perfect in themselves? Could you not begin, at least in some degree, to commit your soul's care to some priest or to some friend, and instead of making every place holy and every day a holy day, could it not be well to fast on such and such days in the week, to scrupulously observe this rule and the other rule, and walk by the general opinion of the ancient church? or by some uh, one of those books which profess to show how they used to do it a thousand years ago. All this may have a great show of wisdom and antiquity and beauty. There may be a semblance of everything that is holy about it, and names that should never be mentioned without reverence may be appended to it all. But listen to the apostle as he saith, Beware lest any man beguile you of your reward. For if they get you away from living upon Christ as a poor sinner from day to day by simple confidence in him, they will beguile you of your reward. There is another party who will seek to beguile you of your reward by bringing in speculative notions instead of the simple truths of God's word. There is a certain class of persons who think that a sermon must be a good one when they cannot understand it or who are always impressed with a man whose words are long, and if his sentences are involved, they feel, poor souls, that because they do not know what he is talking about, there is no doubt that he is a very wise and learned man. And after a while, when he does propound something that they can catch at, though it may be quite contrary to what they have learned at their mother's knee, or from their father's Bible, yet they are ready to be led off it, by it. There are many men nowadays who seem to spend their time in nothing else but in spinning new theories and inventing new systems, getting the gospel, taking, getting, getting the gospel, taking the very soul and bowels out of it and leaving there nothing but the mere skin and outward bones. The life and marrow of the gospel is being taken away by their learning, by their philosophies, by their refinements by their bringing everything down to the test of this wonderfully enlightened 19th century to which we are all, I suppose, bound to defer. But a voice comes to us. 
Let no man beguile you of your reward. Stand fast to the old truths. They will out ask all these philosophies. Stand fast to the old way of living. It will outlast all the inventions of men. Stand fast by Christ, for you want no other object of worship but himself. The Apostle gives us this warning. Let no man beguile you of your reward, reminding us that these persons are very likely to beguile us. They will beguile us by their character. Have I not often heard young people say of such and such a preacher who preaches error, but he is so good a man, that is nothing to the point, though we or an angel should from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, and that which you have preached unto you, let him be accursed. If the life of man should be blameless as the life of Christ, yet if he preach you other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, take no heed of him. He weareth but the sheep's clothing, and is a wolf after all. Some will plead, but such and such a man is so eloquent. Our brethren, may the day never come when your face will stand in the words of men. What is a ready orator, after all, that he should convince your hearts? Are there not ready orators caught any day for any everything? Men speak fluently, speak fluently and speak well in the cause of evil. And there are some that can speak much more fluently and more eloquently for evil than any of our poor tongues are likely to do for the right. But words, 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 flowers of rhetoric, oratory, are these the things you saved you? Are you so foolish that having begun in the Spirit by being convinced of your sins, having begun by being simple, simply to Christ and putting your trust in him, are you now to be led astray by these poetic utterances and flowery periods of men? God forbid, let nothing of this kind beguile you. Then there will be added to these remarks that the man is not only very good and very eloquent, but that he is very earnest. He seems very humble-minded. Yes, and of old they wore rough garments to deceive, and in connection of the text we find that those persons were noted for their voluntary humility and worship of angels. Satan knows very well that if he comes in black, he will be discovered. But if he puts on the garb of an angel of light, then men will think he comes from God, and so will be deceived. By their fruits you shall know them. If they give you not the gospel, if they exalt not Christ, if they bear not witness to salvation through the precious blood, if they do not lift up Jesus Christ as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, have nothing to do with them. Speak as they may. Let no man beguile you of your reward. Though it should happen to be your relative, one whom you love, one who may have many claims on your respect otherwise, let no man, let no man, however plausible may be his speech or eminent his character, beguile you of your reward. Recollect, you professors, you lose the reward if you lose the road to the reward. He that runs may run very fast, but if he does not run in the course, he wins not the prize. You may believe false doctrine with great earnestness, 
but you will find it false for all that. You may give yourself up indefatigably to the pursuit of the wrong religion, but it will ruin your souls. A notion is abroad that if you are but earnest and sincere, you will be all right. Permit me to remind you that if you travel never so earnestly to the north, you will never reach the south. And if you earnestly take prussic acid, you will die. And if you earnestly cut off a limb, you will be wounded. You must not only be earnest, you must be right in it. Hence it is necessary to say, let no man beguile you of your reward. I bear them witness, said the apostle, that they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, but went about to establish their own righteousness, and have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Oh, may we not be beguiled then, so as to miss the reward of heaven at the last. But I must pass on, especially as the light fails us this evening. I hope it is prognostic of a coming shower. Here is a second rendering which may be given to the text. 2. Let no man domineer over you. This rendering, or something analogous to it, is in the French translation. One of the great expositors in his commentaries upon this passage refers it to the judges at the end of the course, who sometime would give the reward to the wrong person, and the person who had really run well might thus be deprived of his reward. Now, however, close a man may be to Christ, the world, instead of honouring him for it, will, on the contrary, censor and condemn him, and hence the apostle's exhortation is, let no man domineer over you. And my brethren, I would earnestly ask you to remember this first as to your course of action. If you conscientiously believe that you are right in what you are doing, study very little who is pleased or who is displeased. If you are persuaded in your own soul that what you believe and what you are, and that and what you are acceptable to God, whether they are acceptable to man or not, is of very small consequence. You are not man's servant. You do not look to man for your reward. And therefore you need not care what man's opinion may be in this matter. Be just and fear not. Tread in the footsteps of Christ. Follow that may. Follow that may. Live not the breath of, live not the breath of men. Let not them applause make you feel great. For perhaps then their censor will make you faint. Let no man in this respect dominate over you. But let Christ be your master. And look to his smile. So not only with regard to your course of action, but also with reference to your confidence that no man domineer over you. For if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, there are some who will say it is presumption. Let them say it is presumption. Wisdom is justified of all her children, and so shall faith be. If you take the promise of God and rest upon it, there will be some who will say that you are harebrained fanatics. Let them say it. They that trust in him shall never be confounded. The result will honour your faith. You have but to wait a little while, and perhaps they that now censor you 
will have to hold up their hands in astonishment and say with you, What hath God wrought? Your confidence in Christ, especially, my dear young friend, I trust does not depend on the smile of your relatives. If it did, then their frown might crush it. Walk with your Saviour in the lowly walk of holy confidence, and let not your faith rest in them, but in the smile of God. Let no man dominate over you again by judging your motives. Men will always give as bad a reason as they can for a good man's actions. It seems to be innate in human nature never to give a man credit for being right if you can help it, and often tender minds have been greatly wounded when they have been misinterpreted, misrepresented, and their actions have been imputed to sinister and selfish motives, when they have really desired to serve Christ. But do not let your heart be broken about that. You will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Do not care about these petty judgment seats of men. Go on with your master's work, dauntlessly and fearlessly. Let them say, as David's brethren said of him, Because of thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart, to see the battle, art thou come. Go you and get Goliath's head, and bring it back, and that shall be the best answer to those sneering ones, when they see that God is with you, and that he has given you this triumph, you shall have honour, even in the eyes of those who now ridicule you. I think sometimes a Christian should have very much the same bravado against the judgment of men, as David had when Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaidens of his servants. And he said, It was before the Lord, and I will yet be more vile than this. Let the eye be to God, and forget the eyes of men. Live so that, whether they know what they do, or do not know, you will not care, for your conduct will bear the blaze of the great judgment day, and therefore the criticisms of earth do not affect you. Let no man dominate over you. So may I put it in another light. Let no man sway your conscience so as to lead you. I'm always anxious, my dear readers, that whatever respect I ever win from you, and I trust I may have your esteem and your affection, yet that you will never believe a doctrine simply because I utter it, but unless I can confirm it from the word of God, away with it. If it be not according to the teaching of the Lord and Master, I beseech you follow me not. Follow me only as far as I follow Christ, and so with every man, let it be God's truth. God's word, the Holy Spirit's witness to that word in your soul that you are seeking after. But rest, I pray you, never short of that. For if you do, for if you do, your faith must stand merely in the wisdom of men. And when the man who helped you to believe is gone, perhaps your faith may be gone too, when most you need its comforting power. No, let no man dominate over you, but press forward to the Christian race, looking unto Jesus, and looking unto Jesus only. But now a third meaning belongs to the text. A happy circumstance it is, this dark night, 
that the preacher does not need to use his manuscript, for if he did, his sermon must certainly come to an end now. For here is here is this point, let no man beguile you of your reward. I may mean this. 3. Let no man rob you of the present reward which you have in being a Christian. Let no man deprive you of the present comfort which your faith should bring to you. Let me just for a few minutes have your attention while I speak upon this. Dear brethren, you and I, if we are believers in Christ, are this day completely pardoned. There is no sin in God's book against us. We are holy and completely justified. The righteousness of Jesus Christ covers us from head to foot and we stand before God as if we had never sinned. Uh, let no man rob you of this reward. Do not be tempted by anything that is said to doubt the completeness of a believer in Christ. Hold this, and as you hold it, enjoy it. Do not let the man yourself, whom you have most to fear, beguile you, even though conscience should upbraid you, and you should have many grave reasons for doubt, as you imagine, yet you believe in Jesus and stand to it. There is therefore now no condemnation to me, for I am in Christ Jesus. He that believeth on him is not condemned. I have believed, and I am not condemned, neither will he permit condemnation to be thundered against me, for Christ has borne my sin for me, and I am clear in him. Let no man beguile you of the reward of feeling that you are complete in Christ. Further, you who have believed in Jesus Christ are safe in Christ. Because he lives, you shall live also. We sh who shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? He has said, I give unto them sh my sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. Now there are some who will tell you that uh, you are not safe, and that it is dangerous for you to believe that you are. Let no man beguile you of this reward. You are saved if you are believing on him. He will keep you, and you may sing, Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling, and to present us faultless before his presence, with exceeding joy, and to him be glory. Hold to that blessed truth that you are in Jesus safe in Jesus Christ. There is a third blessed truth, that not only are you pardoned and safe in Christ, but you are accepted at this moment in the Beloved. Your acceptance with God does not rest upon anything in you. You are accepted because you are in Christ, accepted for Christ's sake. Now sometimes you will get robbed of this reward if you listen to the voice which says, why, there is sin in you still. Your prayers are imperfect. Your actions are stained. Yes, but let no man beguile you of this conviction that, sinner as you are, you are still accepted in Christ Jesus. The Lord grant that you may feel this within, and let no man beguile you of your reward as long as you live. May you live and die in the enjoyment of it, beloved, for Christ's sake. Amen. This recording and reading now ends of Spurgeon's sermon. 
Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.